0: Well, growing up, I, I loved playing sports. I loved to play baseball and soccer and, and really anything that involved a ball where I could score or I could compete with somebody else. And, and that's followed me into adulthood, although I don't play much anymore and, and I'm more of a spectator now than a participant because I just am not good. Uh, that was made clear when I tripped over first base and broke my shoulder while I was playing softball with the, uh, the men's league here. But um, it wasn't even the men's league, it was the co-ed league actually that I tripped and, and fell. So I watch sports now, but growing up, I played. And in high school, uh, I decided that I was gonna go out for the baseball team. It had been a while, and I was the kid in junior high that I got, I got cut from the junior high basketball team, and I walked away, and I was the kid that was thinking, you know what, it's okay. Michael Jordan got cut from his junior high basketball team as well. I'm gonna bounce back. If, if MJ can do it, I can do it. So I went out for uh, for baseball in uh, in my freshman year of high school, and I remember making the team, and I, I was feeling pretty good about myself and about my abilities and my talents and my athletic prowess. And my coach came and put his arm around my shoulder, and he said, "Burner, he goes, you know what? You may not be the most gifted kid out here, the most talented kid athletically, but every team needs a good encourager in the dugout, <laughs> A.K.A. in coach speak, you're going to be seeing a lot of the bench this season." And I did. So after baseball, I said, "Well, maybe baseball's not it. Maybe God's calling on my life is soccer." So I tried out for the soccer team, and I made the soccer team, the junior varsity team. I played three years for, uh, for the junior varsity team, but then my senior year, I finally got to play for the varsity team, and I was excited about that, but I can tell you from personal experience that you cannot letter in soccer from the bench. It's impossible. I, I tried, and, and you can't. Uh, I spent a lot of time, again, in soccer on the bench, and uh, I, I came to be a great sideline presence, but I didn't like being on the sidelines. I wanted to be in the game, I wanted to be on the field. I wanted to be playing. I wanted to be contributing. I wanted to be where the action was, where things were happening and not just on the sideline. And that's why for me, Christianity is so encouraging. Because in Christianity, there is no sideline. There's no bench for a believer. All of us have a role to play in God's plan. God has a role and a job and a task for each and every one of us who are here this morning. If we are here this morning saying, you know what? Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. There's no sideline for us. Unfortunately, some of us enjoy the sidelines in Christianity. We like being in the background. We like being anonymous when it comes to our faith. We don't wanna step out because we, we don't wanna risk the failure. We don't wanna risk a, a weakness being found out about us, or we don't wanna be put in a, a vulnerable position where we're counted on and we may not measure up. And so we like the sideline. We like to keep off to ourselves. We like to look to other people and think that other people are more equipped or better at doing things than we are. But what I hope us to see this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter five and from what Paul is gonna to say to us this morning is that for believers in Jesus Christ, God has a role for each and every one of us to play in reaching the lost. That there is no bench, there's no sidelines when it comes to God's plan for evangelizing the world. That every single one of us has a role to play, a part to play. Whether you're a brand new Christian, this is your, your first time in the doors of a church, or this is maybe your first time in the doors of a church of, for a, a long time. Or maybe you're a, a seasoned believer, somebody who's been a believer for decades, three, four, five decades. You and and the the new believer, both of you have the same role to play in God's plan to reach the lost with salvation. Every believer has a part to play in God's game plan to reach the lost. That's what Paul is going to be addressing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and make your way there, whether on your devices or if you have the books, go ahead and open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 written by the Apostle Paul, and he's been addressing some significant truths and realities right before we get into our passage this morning, which is going to be verses 20 and 21. But one of the most well-known verses of 2 Corinthians has just occurred in verse 17, where Paul says, we know that in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we love that verse and we think about that verse and we hold on to the verse and it's truth that it communicates. That if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. That my sins are no more. That that my old man has been rendered powerless like Paul writes about in Romans chapter six. That I have been declared righteous in Christ and there's so much joy there. The concept of regeneration, being born again, being made new and we rejoice in that and that makes us excited. And we say yes and amen to that. But I wonder how often we've realized that that verse is given in the context of a call to go and reach the lost. In other words, you are a new creation in Christ in order that now God may use you to go out and see more people made new creations in Christ. It's right there as he continues in verses 18 and 19 of 2 Corinthians chapter five. He says, all of this, all of this regeneration, this being born again, being made new, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That word reconciled means that before Christ, we were separated from God, that there was this infinite chasm between us and God that our sins had created, that we couldn't be good enough, that we couldn't overcome, that we couldn't get from where we were back to God, that there was hostility between us. And that God sent Christ to deal with that hostility by dying on the cross for those sins that had driven that gap between us. And that Christ gave his life for us so that we wouldn't have to. And in dying on the cross, he closed that gap and he brought us back to God. He reconciled us to God. And now it says in 2 Corinthians chapter five that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation as new creations in Christ to go and to see that others now would be reconciled to God. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so that's our context as we get into the two verses that we're gonna look at this morning, verses 20 and 21. Paul says, therefore, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul begins, therefore, we. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As we read that, we should ask the question, who is the we? In this, Is he talking about himself and his fellow apostles? Is he talking about himself and, and uh, Timothy? Who's he talking about here? No, he's, he's talking about every single believer. Well, how do we know that? Well, we look at the context. We go back up to verse 17 where it says, therefore, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation in Christ. And now God is entrusted to us who are new creations in Christ, the ministry of reconciliation, that message of the gospel, that there is hope in Christ for you to be reconciled to him, for your sins to be overcome through the cross, and for you to be brought near to God. He has given to us, those who are new creations in Christ, that message and entrusted to us that ministry. Therefore, we, Paul says, are ambassadors for Christ. So we, when we read this verse, we could read it as though Paul is pointing the fingers at us. You, Christian, are an ambassador now for Christ. An ambassador. An ambassador. It's a, a, a word that we still understand today because we still have ambassadors today. An ambassador is one who is a messenger, who is a representative of another somebody who's going forth with a message to somebody else to deliver that message on behalf of the one who has sent them, on the behalf of the one who has commissioned them. We see it early on in the Old Testament even with Jacob and Esau. As Jacob and Esau are preparing to meet together again, Jacob sends messengers ahead of him to Esau to try to smooth things over. What's the purpose of our message that we've been entrusted with? It's the purpose of that message of reconciliation that we've been talking about. It's that message that we go with, that we say uh, we are ambassadors for Christ, bringing the message of hope that you can be brought near to God, that if you are here this morning and your sins have separated you from God and you are here this morning and you are thinking to yourself, I don't deserve to have a relationship with God because what I've done, you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you don't know the type of life that I've lived or the week that I've come off of. The message that we bear as believers to you this morning is that there is hope for you. That there is no sin that is too big for the cross. That at the cross, Jesus Christ died and satisfied God's wrath against every single sin, past, present, and future for you. And if you will repent from your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you too can be reconciled. That's the message that we've been entrusted with. That's the purpose of our role as ambassadors for Christ. And every believer has been called to this purpose and this role. Paul writes about his own role as an ambassador elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, Paul writes, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, prayers for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This passage encourages me for a couple of reasons. First, it encourages me because Paul is asking for prayer, for boldness to be God's ambassador. And so if you're a believer out there who likes the sidelines, Paul himself even said that that he wished that people would pray for boldness for him. So you're not alone in this. And I would ask that you would echo Paul's prayers for yourself and pray for boldness for you to go out as God's ambassador and encourage others to pray for you for boldness, to open your mouth so that you may boldly proclaim the message of reconciliation, the gospel of hope to others. But it also encourages me because notice where Paul is when he's describing himself as an ambassador. Paul's in chains. He's in prison, which reminds me that I am an ambassador for Christ no matter my circumstances, that that is a core part of my identity in Christ. I looked up recently what it takes to become an ambassador, and it's quite a process. You have to get your undergraduate degrees in international studies or something along those lines, and then you have to to learn a foreign language and become fluent in it. And then you have to get an entry level position as an interpreter or a translator. And then you have to get the right internship after that. And then you have to take an exam called the Foreign Service Officers Exam. And you have to pass that exam. And even after passing that exam, you're still not there. Because then you're just put into a pool of qualified people to serve as an ambassador. And then it comes down to who you know, it comes down to your connections so that you can become one who is appointed to the position of an ambassador. There's a lot that it takes to become an ambassador. But the good news is for us as believers in Christ is we already are ambassadors. God has made us ambassadors when he saved us in Christ and he has made that a part of our core identity now. Point number one this morning is this, own that identity. Own your identity as God's ambassador. Embrace it, realize that it is part of who you are now in Christ, as a new creation in Christ, you now are an ambassador for God, a messenger for God. And all of us have a part to play in that. Maybe you've flown recently, or you can think back to the last time you've flown. And think about all the different people that are involved in getting you from point A to point B. You show up at the airport and, and you check your bags. And so there's that person, there's the person behind the the counter that takes your bag and and puts it on that conveyor belt and sends it off, and you have no idea what happens to it after that. You just pray that it gets to the destination that you want it to get to. But it's it's that person who gives you your ticket and then points you in the line of of security. And then there's security. And you go through security, and there's the people that work there that are making sure that you're going to be safe, that nobody dangerous is going to get through and do any harm to you once you're on the other side and you get on the plane. And then you get onto the other side, and and you go to your gate, and there's the person that works behind the kiosk at the counter there, who's checking everybody in, who's getting on the the speaker and saying, hey, this flight is full, and there's no room for your bags, even though nobody's gotten on the plane yet. And they they say, hey, if you want to check your bags, we'll go ahead and, and do that for you. And they make that announcement about 100 times before you get on the plane, just to make sure, hey, we're still needing people to check their bags, Right? And then there's the person that that goes and and stands behind the the tiny counter, which has the the scanner for your phone now. And they pick up the microphone and they say, okay, we're going to board in an orderly fashion according to your group number on your ticket, which never works out because everybody just all flocks together and waits. I got to get on the plane right now, right? And they're the ones that begin to call the groups. And then they scan your ticket and you walk down the, the the incredibly hot tarmac thing there that the the case and you get onto the plane the aluminum death trap and you walk in and there's the flight attendants there that are smiling at you like you're not going to be cramped and uncomfortable for the next three hours and they're welcoming you on board and they're saying that they're here to help you and I and I love them and they're they're great except they're smiling at you and they know that they're not going to give you anything more than some tiny little peanuts and half a soda and if you ask for a full soda they're going to look at you sideways when you do that. And then of course, there's the pilot and there's the co-pilot and they're important. They're the ones that are flying you, that are keeping that aluminum death trap up in the air and then bringing it down to the ground safely. And then there's the person that drives the glorified forklift that pushes the plane back from the, the gates. And then there's the people with the orange flashlights that wave you to and from to get you out there. And then there's air traffic control that come on and they say, well, you're number 52 in line to take off this morning there's a lot that goes in to you getting from point A to point B, isn't there? And every single person in that chain has to do their job for you to get from point A to point B safely, to accomplish the goal. Well, as believers, every single one of us has to do our job when it comes to reaching the lost. God has entrusted that responsibility to all of us, not just to a few, but to every single one of us. Maybe you protest against that and you say, well, I'm not really needed in that process. There's other people who are better than that at that than I am. There's other people who are more qualified or or more gifted or know more than I do. But I wanna push back against that with this thought and that is that God has put you into a sphere of people who don't know Christ for the specific person of you bringing the gospel to them your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members. Those are all people that I don't know, that the person sitting next to you this morning, they don't know, that they don't have access to them to bring the gospel to them. But you do because God has saved you and made you a new creation in order to make you an ambassador to those people in your life. Every single one of you, God has put into a unique mission field to reach the lost in your life for him, to be that ambassador for him. You go to the grocery store, you wait in line at the checkout line, they are people that God has put you in their lives to be an ambassador for Christ for them, not to sit there and count to make sure that they don't have more than 15 items on the belt. The waiter or waitress that you're gonna go out and interact with this afternoon when you go out to lunch, That person is someone that God has put you in their life to be an ambassador for Christ, to bring the message of the gospel, the message of reconciliation to them. Maybe you still object though. You say, but you don't understand, I'm not very good with my words. You're in good company with that because there was another man in the Old Testament who protested when God said, hey, I'm gonna send you on a mission who said, God, I'm not very good with my words. And who was that? That was Moses. Moses, Moses, Moses. That, that, Charlton Heston, right? Was, and Moses said, God, you don't understand, you don't want me, I'm not, I'm not eloquent. And God said what to Moses? He said, I will be your mouthpiece. You will speak the words that I give you. You remember when Jesus sent out the disciples and he said, you know what, you're gonna be brought before rulers and authorities. But don't be nervous about what you will say, for you will be given the words to speak. Well, y'all, we've been given the words to speak in the gospel. We know the gospel. That's what we need to speak, and we need to be willing to go as God's messenger. And if you're a Moses, find an Aaron and bring an Aaron with you. Go out two by two, just like Jesus sent out the disciples to reach the lost in your life. Maybe you say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That is a gift, right? People have the gift of evangelism. I would say yes. I love people with the gift of evangelism, people that can't help but just share the gospel with every single person they come into contact with. And I understand that that's not everybody's gift, but everybody has fallen under the great commission of God, yes? Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. That wasn't given to people who only have the gift of evangelism. That was given to all of us. And again, I would say there are people specifically who God has brought into your life, who God has placed into your life, that he wants you to go as his ambassador to reach them with the gospel. Maybe you say, well, I don't have any unbelieving friends. I would say find some, find some, or come with our our evangelism team that goes out to the spectrum. You will find unbelievers there. Come with our college ministry. We go out to to college campuses. This year, we're gonna be going out to Saddleback College, to IVC, Irvine Valley, and also to UCI. And we're gonna be out there monthly. And we're gonna be there to to share the gospel with lost college students who need Jesus. Come with us. If you don't have a sphere that you can think of right now, maybe you say, "I, I just don't have time. And here I wanna challenge you that there is no greater use of your time that you could spend here on earth than to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanna ask you a question. What is it that makes your existence to here, here more useful to God than it would be for you to be in heaven with him right now? The only thing that makes you more useful and more effective to God here on earth than you would be in heaven is to be his ambassador to go to the lost in your life that he has sovereignly placed in your life to go with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no greater call on your life here on earth than to serve him as his ambassador. It's the only thing that you can do here better than you will be able to do in heaven. If you're a follower of Christ, you're an ambassador for Christ. This idea of being an ambassador, social media has opened up a brand new kind of ambassador for us. Brand ambassadors. It's most of the stories on Instagram as I'm clicking through here. Here, drink this fitness drink. Take this, uh, this pill over here. Do this exercise program. Do, uh, buy this bag for your wife. It's, it's all over social media, and some of you go out and do that, and that's great. I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what I am saying is, is ask yourself, why do you do that? Or why do people who are brand ambassadors, why do they do that? Because they believe in the product and they believe in its benefits. And so they're willing to go out there and they're willing to hit the streets on social media, so to speak, and and push that product. I just wanna encourage us that we are brand ambassadors for Christ. And we need to be out there on the streets. We need to be out there on social media. We need to be out there on every platform that we have pushing Christ. Are you willing to get off the sideline and be his ambassador? There's one ambassador who caught my attention this week as I was preparing for this message, and her name is McGee Macario Doyle. McGee Macario Doyle, and she is the ambassador to the Principality of Monaco, or from the Principality of Monaco. In fact, her official title is this, the Ambassador Extraordinary and Plenipotentiary of the Principality of Monaco to the United States. That's a mouthful. But Miss Doyle, I, I was thinking about her this week because The population of Monaco as of 2017 was 38,000 people. And she has a seat at the table at the UN. Just to put that in perspective, Eliseo Viejo's population with the most recent census was just about 51,000. Laguna Hills, 31,000. If you're at Mission Viejo, you're the big winners this morning because you come from a city that's 96,000 as of the most recent population. And that's small by our country's standards, yes? And here's Ms. Doyle, who's an ambassador from a principality of 38,000 people. Can you imagine how that goes? I don't know what happens at the UN. They've never invited me. But if they're sitting around the table and just kind of getting country updates, hey, uh, France, how's things going over there? Obviously, you haven't started any wars. What else is going on in in your country? Italy, how are are things going over there? And and England, and and United States, and, and, and Russia, and then you get to Monaco, right? Okay, Monaco, what's going on with you? Well, I know some of you are solving the world's problems and a lot of you are creating the world's problems. Uh, we just had a, a pretty monumental thing happen with Monaco. We, we decided to open a third Italian restaurant in our principality. It was a tight vote, but we decided that uh, competition would be good, so we passed it. So yeah, movers and shakers over in Monaco. I don't know, if, if I was at the, uh, the UN, you gotta think that, that Miss Doyle maybe condescended to a little bit, right? Why? Because the the power of the ambassador is in direct proportion to the power of the one they represent. The clout they carry is proportionate to the one that they are representing, the one who has sent them. And so in that context, I mean, we know the world powers at the UN, their ambassadors are going to be the ones that carry the, the loudest voices, Well, look what Paul says about our ambassadorship, the one that we represent in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. That blows every seat of the UN out of the water. We are ambassadors for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the one that we represent. I love the description of Jesus from Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. He's the rider on the white horse, the white war steed. And he's depicted there in all of his brilliant glory. And it says that he's wearing a robe that's been dipped in blood, and his eyes are ablaze with fire and he's got a tongue that's a a sword that's proceeding from his mouth. And of course we know in that instance he's coming for the final judgment, the last battle, this rider on the white horse, and it's a picture of power, and it's a picture of authority, and it's a picture that leaves us in awe. And Paul says that you and I are his ambassadors, the one who has the name written on his thigh, king of kings and lord of lords, He's the one that we represent. He's the one whose authority we bear. There was an ancient Hebrew uh, phrase about an ambassador that it said, we are as the one who sent us. I am as the one who sent me. In other words, it's as though he were here speaking to you through me. And that's us in Christ. God making his appeal through us. We sang it this morning, the cornerstone, Christ against all hell, unshakable. And he's the one that we represent. God making his appeal through us, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, is the one who's behind the message of salvation and reconciliation that you and I proclaim to the lost. Listen to Isaiah chapter 40. In the depiction of this God in verses twelve through seventeen, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. I hope this vision of God emboldens you that understanding that you are an ambassador for Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the sovereign of sovereigns. I hope that emboldens you, that this is the God who is making his appeal through you. It's like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. As you go as an ambassador for Christ into this world, you go bearing his message. You go in the power of God to the lost. You go representing the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of this universe. And I pray and I hope that that emboldens you point number two for us this morning. It's this, be bold with God's message. Be bold with God's message. Sometimes my daughter will approach my son. My daughter is my second born, and and she'll go up to my son Joshua, and she'll say to him, hey, you need to go do this. You need to go get that over there or pick that up off the floor, and he'll look at her like she's crazy, right? After all, he's 10, she's seven, there's a disparity, there's a pecking order, there's a seniority there. No way is his response, unless she tags something on the end of her request. No, no, Josh, you don't understand. You need to go do that because mom and dad told you, you need to go do that. Now, all of a sudden, she's the ambassador, she's the messenger for someone with much more power than she has. And the power of mom and dad activate the message in Joshua's life. And he listens to her now. And he goes and does what she's asking, not because of what she has asked, but because what she's asking is what we have commissioned her to ask. And as we go to this lost world, we don't go with a a message that's our own. We don't go with a, a message that is part of our wisdom or our invention or something that we've gotten together and said, well, yeah, let's Mix a little justification and then a little sanctification and let's introduce this thing like the cross and let's go out there and and see what we can do. Because like the Apostle Paul said, this message is foolishness to the lost, yes? So if we were to have invented the gospel, we would have not invented it the way that, that God has given it to us. But as it is, we go with his gospel, with his message to the lost, we go with his terms of peace. In fact, that was often what an ambassador in ancient times was commissioned with. A conquering king would send his ambassador, his messengers to the, the foes that he had just overcome and the messenger would go with the terms of peace of the conquering king, saying if you wish to have peace, if you wish to bring an end to the hostilities, this is what is required. And as you think about that, I, I imagine that those ambassadors would have gone with a boldness about them because they were going on behalf of the victorious king. They were going on behalf of the, the conquering ruler. And so as they went with the terms of peace, they didn't go with embarrassment or shame. They didn't go apologizing for these terms of peace. They didn't go with this mindset of, well, you know, I, I know he's kind of strict and I, I, I wish there was another way, but this is what we're gonna ask of you if you want peace. They didn't go offering them a a second way. Well, you know, there's many ways to peace with this king. I'm just gonna suggest this one for your consideration. I don't wanna come across as arrogant like I have the the corner on truth, and so you live your truth, guys, but I'm gonna suggest that you live it this way and you embrace his terms of peace if you want peace with him. No, that, that ambassador went and said, look, you have been conquered. Unless you want to be wiped off the face of the planet, these are the terms of peace and you need to accept them. Well, as believers in Christ, we've been sent with the terms of peace of a conquering and victorious king in the person of Jesus Christ, yes? He is the victorious king. He is the conquering God. And he's given us the terms of peace to go to the lost world the lost world who may still be resisting, still be fighting, and yet at the same time, we know what the end of it will be. And so we go to them and we go to them with the terms of peace that God has given us, the gospel, and we call for repentance and we call for faith from them so that there can be an end to the hostilities between the God that we serve and them. We go boldly because of the one who's sent us and because our message is his message. But we also go boldly with God's message because we know that God is the one who empowers it and affects change in the lives of the hearers of this message. Picture that person in your mind right now who you're hesitant to share the gospel with. Maybe it's been a while since you have because they rejected you the first time. Or maybe you've never shared the gospel with them because you assume you know what their answer is gonna be. And so you're resistant to take the gospel to them again and and you're hesitant and you have that name and you have that face in your mind and maybe it's more than one. And you assume, you know, it's gonna be fruitless for me to try to share the gospel with them because there's no way. I wanna remind you this morning of the story of Sarah and Abraham. When God went to Abraham And he said to Abraham, behold, at this time next year, I will visit you and your wife Sarah will give birth to a child. And when Sarah heard that, what did Sarah do? She laughed. She laughed, why? Because Sarah, it said, was was past childbearing age. She had consigned herself to a life of barrenness and thought, that is too wonderful for me. That is impossible, that will never happen. And God responds because he calls her out to Abraham. He says, why did your wife laugh? And he says, this is anything... Too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? Or in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord's hand, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Isaiah was calling on the people to repent from their sins, to return to the Lord, calling on Israel to leave behind their idolatrous ways and return back to the faithfulness to God, return back to submission to the covenant that they had made with the Lord. And he's calling on them and what he's saying is, he's saying, look, God's hand is not so short that it can't still reach and save you nor is his ear too dull to hear you when you cry and ask for repentance. And I would say, as that was true for Israel, specifically church, it's still true for you and I and the lost in our lives today. That person that you are picturing that I asked you to think about a moment ago, God's hand is not too short that he cannot save them, nor his ear dull that he cannot hear your prayers for them or hear their cries for repentance and faith if you will be a faithful ambassador to bring that message into their lives the thief on the cross, the apostle Paul, Nicodemus. I mean, we think of these names and there's more. They were all as unlikely candidates for conversion as anyone else. I mean, think about Paul, the one who is writing these things to us. He was Saul before he was Paul, the Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a persecutor of the church, imprisoning believers and families, looking to wreak havoc as much as he possibly could on the church of Christ. Going out, even on his way to Damascus to to terrorize the church further when what happened? God, whose hand was not too short to save him, reached out and redeemed him and saved him and converted him and used him in a mighty way. That person who's in your mind, who you're thinking they're too far gone, It may be that God wants to use you to reach them to do incredible, phenomenal, great things for him because his hand is not too short that it cannot save nor his ear too dull that it cannot hear. You are an ambassador for a God who has declared that nothing is impossible for him. R.A. Torrey in his book, The Power of Prayer, says that the power of prayer has access to the omnipotence of God. God. So as you think about that son or daughter who's walked away from Christ, I wanna encourage you this morning that they are not beyond the saving reach of God's arm. As you think about that spouse, that husband or wife who is not following God, not following Christ, I wanna encourage you this morning that they are not beyond the saving reach of the arm of God, the ear of God to hear the cries. Go to them again with the gospel. The neighbor who's so cold and seems so shut off They are not beyond the saving reach of Jesus Christ this morning. The coworker who on Monday regales you with their debauchery over the weekend, they are not beyond the saving reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ if you will be a faithful ambassador and proclaim the message of hope and reconciliation to them. There's hope for every single person because the power of the message does not reside in us. And the power of the message to change hearts does not reside in us either. Both belong to the God that we worship and the God that we serve. And that God is the God of all creation, the Lord of lords and King of kings. And even if you bring that message and you don't see immediate fruit, I want to encourage you to remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as he said that some were lining up behind Apollos and others were lining up behind Paul and saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and what did Paul say? He said, who are we? We're nothing. He said, we're co-laborers. He said, we're simply planting and watering. But God, is the one who's gonna cause the growth. So as you are an ambassador for Christ, I wanna encourage you that sharing the gospel is never a waste of breath because you will be planting or you will be watering and God is able to cause the growth in the blink of an eye and at a time that none of us know when that time will be. So keep going, keep sharing, keep praying for the lost in your life, keep being bold with God's message. Because of this great reality, there's so much freedom for us in sharing the gospel. Like the Apostle Paul says, I I didn't come to you with eloquence and lofty wisdom. I came to you determined to know what? Nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Because the power to change lives is therein, in that message, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's so much freedom for you and I now to go out and to share the gospel with people. And to proclaim the message of truth with people. And to call on people to be reconciled to God. In fact, to do what Paul says here, to implore people. I love that word. I love the word implore because it's such an emotional word. It's such a passion-filled word. He says this in verses 20 through 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love the way verse 20 begins there. We, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is more than asking, okay? This is more than sharing, This is a a call for a response. This is an impassioned plea. This is a a begging, an urging, a pleading for somebody to be reconciled to God. Some of you are incredible, incredible salesmen, saleswomen. You've built a career out of knowing how to close the deal, right? Well, when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to close the deal, we have to call for the verdict, call for the response. Too often we, we go and we share the gospel and then we get timid at the end and it's like, well, so now you know. Why don't you go ahead and chew on that for a while and maybe we can grab coffee again in the future and talk a little bit more about this if you want to. Well, this is just what I believe. And I, I would really love that you would think that this is true too, but it's almost like we're apologetic for what we know to be the way, the truth, and the life, right? We are his ambassadors, and we need to be imploring. We need to be calling for the response. In fact, Paul does this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He's writing to people in Corinth who needed to be reconciled to God. That's why he's saying, we implore you Corinthians, who haven't been, be reconciled to God. And then he says this in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, working together with him. Again, working together with Christ, his ambassadors, uh, making uh, his appeal on his behalf. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, don't let this letter be wasted ink. Don't let the words that you're hearing just fall on deaf ears and be a waste of time. For he says, In a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Y'all, when we share the gospel, we have got to say that today is the day of salvation. Make a decision for Christ today. Will you today repent from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? What is it that we are imploring? The content. This is why he includes verse 21. Again, he says in verse 21, For our sake, God the Father made Christ the Son to be sin, our sin, my sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. He gets my sin. I get his perfect righteousness at the cross. It's such an amazing verse and so clear about the gospel. And I think Paul puts it here to remind us of what it is that we are to be imploring people to be reconciled to God in light of in light of what Christ has done, be reconciled to God. Isaiah describes this exchange in Isaiah chapter 53, verses four through six. Isaiah 53, four through six. Surely he has borne our griefs, my griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. We thought he was cursed, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The picture here is paying a bill that you could not pay. Maybe some of you have experienced that. You've got a, a massive amount of debt that you have incurred, and you know that you are responsible for that. And somebody out of the kindness and love for you has come alongside it, and they have paid that debt for you. They've taken the debt that you deserve, that you incurred, and they owned it as their own, and they paid the penalty that was due. That's what Paul is describing here when he's saying that God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, he took our debt. In fact, he he says it explicitly in, in Colossians chapter two, verses 13 through 14, that our debt was nailed to the cross. It's amazing. It's this reality, the reality of the great exchange that should cause us to implore, to urge, to plead people to be reconciled to God. That should cause us to get on the streets of our neighborhoods with our neighbors and and urge people to be reconciled to God. At work, around the water cooler, to urge people to be reconciled to God. At home, with our family members, to plead with them. Be reconciled to God before it's too late. We have to call for the response. It's point number three this morning. It's this. Boldly call for a response to God's message. Boldly call for a response to God's message. Some of you may be lawyers and work in a courtroom. Others of you, like me, have seen lawyers on TV. And there's the scene, right? And it's it's the scene towards the end. And the the lawyer stands up and gives his closing argument. And he presents the facts of the case again to the jury, in summation. And he's presenting all the facts of the case that that support his client. And he's saying, look, this is the evidence. Remember, here it is, it's all been laid out to you. And then at, at the end of that, after he's done that, what does he do? But whatever, you guys do what you want to do. You know what, jury, live your truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. His truth is his truth. You guys just decide whatever you want to do and, and we'll be good with it. No, what does he do? He calls for the verdict, yes? He says, in light of the evidence, now make the right decision, do the right thing. Y'all, we got to do that as well when we share the gospel. We present the evidence, we lay out the facts. And then we call for the verdicts. Will you today, just like Joshua, just like Moses, choose you this day who you will serve? Will you today repent from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if they say no, let me encourage you to ask a follow-up question. Can I ask you why not? What is it that's keeping you today from putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you willing to to continue to talk about this with me? The Apostle Paul is a great example to us here in in Corinthians. He's a great example to us also in the book of Acts. As Pastor Mike is going to get into that series in in Acts 26. Paul is there and he's standing before Agrippa. And he's he's giving his testimony before Agrippa. And Festus is there as well. And Festus says, Paul, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. And Paul says, you're right. I am, but I'm going to keep going. And he presses in harder with this, and he's calling for the verdict to the point that Agrippa even says to him, Paul, are you trying to make me a Christian? In fact, he says this, he says, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Me, Agrippa, to be a Christian? And Paul says this, whether short or long, I would that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, Paul's saying, Agrippa, not just you, but anybody in earshot. Everybody, anybody. Repent today and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today is the day. We need to boldly call for that response. What does that look like? First, it involves being clear. Being clear about that message in verse 21. That God has made Christ to be sin. That, That Christ has taken our sin on him. That he was punished for our sin. And that exchanged in exchange, he, he gave us his righteousness. Y'all, it's important that you know the gospel. It's important that you know your testimony. And I would encourage you, work on being able to share the gospel with somebody in three minutes or less. That's not a hard and fast rule. That You're not gonna find that in the book of first opinions or anything else like that. I'm just encouraging you to, to boil it down to three minutes because that's gonna be about somebody's attention span that you're gonna have time with. Work on getting it there. Maybe you say, well, I don't even know how to do that. Meet with one of us. Meet with one of our pastors and start to work on your testimony. Or talk to somebody on our evangelism team. Our evangelism ministry, they've got a a booth outside on the patio after all of our services there. Go up and talk to somebody. Say, hey, I wanna get better at sharing the gospel. Watch people who do it well. Go on and and watch uh, Ray Comfort and what he does out there. And get used to sharing the gospel. Practice sharing the gospel with uh, people that you trust and your loved ones. But then another way to, to be good at being clear and being concise about how you share the gospel with people is to actually go out and share the gospel with people. Answer this call to be an ambassador. Be clear in it. Second, be passionate about it. Be passionate about it. You want them to know that you are convicted about what you are proclaiming to them. That you believe what you are proclaiming to them. And you want to call for that response in their lives, for them to repent from their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Think about the illustration that Pastor Mike so often uses of the sinking ship. And you know where the lifeboats are. And imagine going to the people that are in the part of the ship that's sinking and saying to them, Hey, I know where the lifeboats are. You need to be saved. You need to know where the lifeboats are, too, and then just walking away from them. You've done them no good. You need to beckon to them, what? Follow me to the lifeboats. Well, calling for the response as you share the gospel is you saying, follow me to the lifeboats. Here's the way to salvation. Here's the way to deliverance. Decide today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to fail to call for a response to the king's message would have been malpractice on the part of the ambassador. And if you and I fail to call for a response to the message of our king, it's likewise malpractice on our part as God's ambassadors. This is the most significant truth that they could ever hear. This is the most significant decision that they could ever come by. This is more important than anything else that would hold us back. Whether it be the fear of man, well, I don't know how they're gonna respond to me. This is more important than that. Than whether or not you you are thought of as as a lunatic, you're in good company, they thought Paul was a lunatic. This is more important than your fear of rejection. This is more important than your fear of breaking off a relationship if, if, they're, if they don't want anything to do with you after this. This is more important than any objection that you could put up. Because what's at stake here is the person's soul and eternity. It's so many of us prefer the sidelines when it comes to this. And we look at the lost in our lives and we crouch down behind the hedge of this doctrine of sovereignty and we think, well, I'm just gonna hide behind sovereignty and trust that if it's God's will that they're saved, he's gonna bring somebody in their life to share the gospel with them. And I, do, I just wanna push back on you and say, yes, you have been put into your li- their lives to bring the gospel to them to see him save them. And it is the most significant thing that you could do with your time on earth. It's an amazing privilege to be used by God. It's an amazing privilege that there are no sidelines in Christianity, that there's no six man award when we get to eternity because we are all part of God's starting lineup when it comes to reaching the lost. And so if you're a believer here this morning, you would say, yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord, my Savior. I wanna encourage you, remind you, exhort you that God has a part for you to play in reaching the lost in your life, that he's put them in your life to be reached by you as his ambassador with the message of reconciliation, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said to you this morning, go bring that message to them. Implore them. Today, be reconciled to God. So as we close, I wanna ask you, who are those people in your life? Who will you this week pursue as God's ambassador? I'd encourage you, don't delay. Don't even wait this week. Today, who will you reach out to as God's ambassador? Will you boldly take his message to the lost in your life? and allow God to make his appeal through you. We boldly call for them, plead with them, implore them to respond to the greatest truth that they will ever hear, that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. That's a call that's been placed on each and every one of us as God's children, as God's followers, and there is truly no greater call that we could respond to on this side of eternity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, thankful, overwhelmed by this reality, this truth that you use us. You use us as fallen and imperfect as we are to bring the message of hope and reconciliation and salvation to the lost that are in our lives. Lord, what a glorious truth and reality that is. Lord, we thank you, each and every one of us in this room, God, who are saved, we thank you for the ambassador that you brought into our lives to bring the gospel to us, to implore us to repent from our sins and to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God, we are so thankful for them that they were faithful to answer this call. God, may we be found faithful to that. Lord, I pray for the brothers and sisters in this room who are timid to share their faith, who are afraid to share their faith, who are more ashamed or abashed to to speak up. God, I pray that you would embolden them that you would remind them that they are your ambassadors, that they represent the King of kings and Lord of lords, that there is no more powerful truth that can be proclaimed here on earth than the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is nothing that can stand against you when you choose to regenerate somebody, when you choose to give them the faith and repentance to believe God in the gospel. No objection is stronger than that, Lord. God, may we be an army of your servants, of your ambassadors to go out and to make an impact. God, I want Compass Bible Church to be known in this community as a church that is spreading the gospel far and wide. God, we wanna blow the doors off this church by you seeing people saved and transformed and brought here. Lord, multiply the ambassadors that are in this room for you. God, fill up this place for your glory, your honor, your name so that more and more and more might be saved to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God, use us in a mighty way. Make your appeal through us, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.